Product Breakfast Club. Product Breakfast Club. Product Breakfast Club. <laughs> okay, it didn't work. I wish I could be back. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan one of your hosts of the Product Breakfast Club. And today I have a very special guest who's definitely not listening to this introduction in the background. <laughs> and I'm also not reading this from a website. Mona Patel is the CEO. Oh, this is from January 2016. Maybe I should have got... You, you can correct me on what has changed. I mean, you being the audience. Mona Patel is the CEO and, co- <laughs> and founder of Motivate Design, a UX design research and sh- staffing shop based in New York City. Motivate Design helps clients discover customers' needs and design solutions that meet those needs. Through her experience, Mona developed the ReFramework, an eight-step process that any company can use. She recently released an Amazon bestseller, congratulations. Thank you. Called, I know this isn't recent for you, but you know, 2016, uh, it's it's three years old and I'm reading this biography. That's what this podcast is about. So Amazon (laughs) bestseller, Amazon bestseller, reframe, shift the way you work, (laughs) innovate and think that demonstrates how this process can help companies innovate and design simple, beautiful experiences. (laughs) So cruddy. Also, one thing to add, and I think this is probably Mona's biggest success, is that uh, Mona's previous podcast of the Product Breakfast Club, previous biggest, episode of the yeah. Product Breakfast Club. The thing I'm most proud of in life. <laughs> yeah, biggest achievement <laughs> in Mona's life is that Mona's previous episode of the Product Breakfast Club is one of the top three episodes of all time out of over 70 episodes. That's amazing. Crazy, right? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. No, that does actually make me feel great. Thank you. I don't know why, but (laughs) we're going to go with it. (laughs) Our audience um, really loved that last episode, and I still get messages about it. And, you know, like, it's really interesting because I didn't know that our audience would be interested in sort of the agency world. Yeah. But apparently, they're definitely interested in it. So how was the bio read? Was it? Totally inaccurate. (laughs) (laughs) you're you're like i'm not mona patel (laughs) (laughs) no i don't know who you're talking to no i mean no it's uh you did a great job the updates from then would actually just be the second book the thing about swings which is that children's book that i think i talked about last time the elephant that redesigned swing you send it to me as well it's really cute yes because you had a baby thank you yeah that's about it other than that still ceo and founder of motivate still loving you know, all the work that I'm doing, I've shifted my role, which I'm sure we can talk about. Oh, my job description, I would say, but my role stayed the same. Okay, what did you so uh, a bit of context for people who have not listened to the first episode, which you definitely should listen to the first episode, because now a lot more people listen to the podcast. And so a lot of people won't have this context. So maybe I can be number two, then. Yeah, you'll be number two. <laughs> and number three. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your business, the size of the business, how many yeah. people are working there? Just tell me a little bit about it. Tell the audience a little bit about what Motivate Design is. Is Okay, no problem. So I started Motivate Design in 2009. Jonathan, that means 10 years is coming up in a month. Oh my God. Which is insane to me. Insane to me. And when I started it, I did not know I was starting a business. I thought I was starting a freelance situation. And so I thought I would do UX research and design and get paid for it. And monapatel.com, as you just saw when you Googled Mona Patel, was taken. <laughs> and so I had to come up with another name. And I knew I did two things really well, motivate people and come up with design solutions. So I put those two things together. And I'm like, whatever, who cares? I'm not going to do this forever. This is just going to be a thing that I do while I figure out my next move. So motivate started as really a way to serve me. 
And I think we've kind of gone full circle as I tell you about my new role later. <laughs> but uh, it, it started that way. And the reason it grew is I met really talented people that I wanted to work with. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if I just hire them and hopefully it'll go well. But we have a lot of projects. We have a lot of clients. Uh, and these were pretty big clients at the time. I think the first few were this travel agency called Travelport, um, Citibank, um, who else? I don't know. They really, really like large companies up front. And so I just found really great people and they wanted to work on these really great projects. And I wanted to keep everyone happy. So I kept doing that. Most of the work has been research though. Mm. And it's been this spin of research that, um, that I've always found natural to me, which is looking at something from a strategy perspective or a product design perspective and saying, what do I actually need to know to move this forward? And at the time, and I think still today, there's a lot of research firms that look at it from an academic perspective of yeah. how do I get like the sample size that I need and ask the questions in the same way and remove bias. And although I studied that and I respect that, I never really used research in that way. And so Motivate's concept has always been to come up with new research methodologies and then link research to design and strategy. So would you say it's actionable user research? Not always, actually, because sometimes your mind's blown and it's something that you didn't expect and you don't know what to do next. And that's when I feel like I hit the jackpot. You know, when you were going with a client was going in one direction, they were like, I already know what people are going to say about X, Y, and Z. And we're able to come back and say, that's actually not the need that you need to solve for. Or they don't see it that way. I don't know how they see it, but I know they don't see it that way. Okay. And so for me, like a lot of people look at research as let's come up with an answer. But I look at research as what's the next question. Okay, so let's say a company, you know, runs a project with you, they have an assumption, and you do the research, and then you come in and you're like, you know what, that was actually, you know, potentially the wrong direction. Do you just like drop that bomb, walk out and say, fuck off? Or do you have like sort of a way to, to help? In my dream, yes. My <laughs> You're like, goodbye. <laughs> Bye, not my problem. See, no. <laughs> In my dreams, yes. Okay. That, but I, we have really nice clients. And so, no, I never want to do that to them. A lot of this is, so now what do we do next? Okay. You know, do we do another round of research to dig in deeper? Do we start designing based on this new hunch or spark or you know, concept that we have, and then take that to validation. So a lot of this is like helping almost coaching them through the next part of it, because it can be scary, right? Change is scary. If you were thinking about doing something a certain way, like let's say it's a mobile app, and you were thinking about designing it a certain way. And then you find out that whatever feature you were designing, people don't need, they don't want, they said they want it in focus groups, but they don't actually have a real need for it. You know, at that point, it's, I think, as a consultant, our job to say, you know what, let me coach you through what to do next. Mm, okay. Because I'm here from the outside. I'm not smarter. I'm just here from the outside. And I might see some things that are harder for you to see because you're here on the inside. You're going to see some things that I don't see because I'm not on the inside. And maybe we can work together to come up with our next step. Okay. So in the first episode, what we did is we went down you know, into detail about your kind of thoughts on user research and everything. And I think that was really interesting. But yeah. today, I think I'm going to be selfish and I'm going to... Use our conversation as a way for me to get free business coaching because you're kind of ahead of sure. me in the game in terms of being a, a person. In terms of everything. Yeah, in terms of everything, in terms of, you know, good looks, in terms of athleticism and all of this kind of stuff. Not um, the looks, but everything else, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, and, and just to be uh, also transparent, I have consulted with Mona when I've had some issues with my company. So I do consider Mona to be sort of 
a great mentor of mine, which I use very sparingly Thank because you. I know that's, that's not some, something to take advantage of. But now I'm going to take advantage. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so I really want to know about, um, just to get some bit of context. So how many people are you at Motivate Design at this very moment? I have no idea. I think it's around, around 40. Holy crap. With a mix of contractors and full time. Uh, okay. But yeah, maybe more. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's so fine. So let's just start with that. I think that that's such a an interesting way to impress people, right? The size yeah. of the company. I feel like almost all the time I'm asked, like, how big is it? And right off the bat, there's a reaction to the size, 10, 40. Yeah. There was a time it was 60. I only say that because it tripped me up. You know, I started thinking that, oh, that's the way I should measure success. Yeah. I'm trying to build like a 15-person company that makes the same amount as a 50-person company. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, <laughs> I love the 35 extra people, but I'm just saying, you know, like it's not about the size. And I kept getting, it was like a carrot almost. I kept going down the wrong path thinking that that mattered. It doesn't yeah. at all. What matters to you then? Quality of work. Yeah. Margin, because margin is allowing me to do what I want to do. You know, like I have all these things, like I write kids books. I mean, I am a creative. Yeah. So I need money so that I can do crazy things. And so now I am more focused than I've ever been on, are we charging fair prices and are we making enough money so that we can do some meaningful stuff in this world? That's what matters to me. And if it's 15 people or 5,000 people, I don't care. And you and I, actually, the stuff that we talk about are people problems. Yes, for sure. You know, so I don't really want to deal with that. <laughs> I, okay, okay. So how can I not have to deal with that? What's your, how do you do that? How do you not have to do, deal with that part? Well, I stopped, to be really honest. I, I hired a person who's really good at it and let him do it. But that's just because I was getting fed up. You know, the people... Yeah. And when we say people problems, maybe we should clarify. There's... Uh, employees are awesome. Of course. <laughs> until they're not sometimes, right? Because there's a difference of opinion on what the business is looking for and what they personally might need. And the really great employees speak up and explain, like, I'm not happy with X, Y, and Z. The not so great employees um, lash out in some way. They could, you know, shut down. They could gossip. They could quit. There's a, you know, a lot of that. And that's the part that frustrates me. It's like, you know, if you're not happy with something, come talk to me about it. Yeah. And so I did that a lot, and that was a lot of fun, to be honest. The first couple of years, it just became less fun over the last three or four years. So I stopped doing it and gave it to someone who considers it fun now. That's interesting. So how did you find someone who, because that's a lot of trust to hand over to someone else, because there's two parts of this question. How did you find someone who was willing and you trusted to do that? And number two, were you worried that people in your company would see that as someone else sort of taking over and, and even though they were following you and your vision initially? So yes, uh, I, I think it's yes to both. So the second one, I am still here, you know, and for anything where people feel like they want to talk to me, I am always here to talk to them. I picked up the phone on Saturdays. I picked up the phone on the evening. So, you know, they know they're supported by me. It's a bit of a give and take and a respect. They know I don't enjoy it. Mm. You know, to sit in a room and have a conversation or do a performance view, they know I don't enjoy it. And so I have a really great team and they don't want me to do things I don't like to do. Yeah. And so even almost like a sense of respect, they'll go to the person that I said will do this better. And I'm always here if that turns out to be not true, but the person we've hired does do it better. Now you said, where did you find them? There's two actually that kind of handle three, I would say, handle the people problems. There's our finance person actually, who is one of the kindest, most generous and thoughtful people. You know, he's not a cutthroat finance person, except that he knows how to manage the money in a cutthroat way. Right. He's so kind. And so people can go to him 
anytime they have a question about their benefits or you know why they didn't get paid a certain way or what their rate is on something, etc. We have Ken, who's worked with me for five years now, and has always been the ops person to make sure that all projects are being done at the quality that I want them done. So everybody knows, like, you know, Ken is in many ways my right hand person, and we're aligned very well. And so they go to him for anything that's softer. And then there's Peter, who is, I still like pinch myself that I'm so lucky to work with him. You know, he's uh, the president of Motivate and just spectacular and doing such a great job of actually growing the company because that's what he wants to do. I like to design things and build things. He likes to grow things. That's really interesting. Yeah. I say like, I love ATV on a gravel road, you know, where nothing has ever been built before and it's like bumpy and you have to figure things out. I love that. He is a highway man, you know, like go fast to get far. And so we complement each other really well. And so it's very easy to let go when people just like it and do it better than you. That's really interesting because I feel like one of the things, so I just started um, with a new kind of leadership coach last week. And one of the things she mentioned now, interestingly, lining up with this was that my kind of skills and the things that I are the most value I bring to AJ and Smarter sort of around the product kind of development and new product and new innovation mm-hmm. um, and, and building out the new businesses. But where I sort of lose track is, you know, how do I then grow and, and maintain the businesses that are already running? And so that means, I mean, he's, you say president, is that like just kind of internal terminology? Because it sounds similar to CEO. A CEO can be a visionary as well. Like if there's this book that we're using that I, you'll see it a lot in EO, Traction. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, it's fantastic because it'll show you that people like you and me have a really important role in the organization, but it's not to run the operations. Yeah. And so you'll see that there's a visionary, the person who decides the direction of the company is the heart mm. of the company, if you will. Yeah. And then there's the whatever you call it, COO, CEO, and you can be present. You know, it doesn't really matter, but it's the person who's the brains. Okay. What do you call yourself? CEO. You call yourself CEO. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I can keep that title and, and sound cool. And But then I can have... Because <laughs> I was like, what? I have to lose my CEO title? But it... <laughs> No, you don't. I mean, and also, we both speak on stage. And you know, the, yeah. the truth of the matter is people want to hear from CEO, a president, doesn't really matter. They don't want to hear from yeah. founder and not doing much. <laughs> you know? Chill and founder. Yeah. Chill okay. and founder. The part that you just mentioned, I want to just commend you for take like doing it, having a coach. I you know, the entrepreneurs that I've met that do really well have so much self-awareness. And it's not that easy to have self-awareness, but it's actually easy to buy. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can buy a coach and a coach will give you feedback on like this is what you do well that you don't even know you do that well. And here's what you kind of suck at. I think it took me probably five years to become humble enough to say, oh, you know what? I actually am not like really good at a lot of things and I make loads of mistakes. Yeah. I think this is also like, uh, you know, inherent in a lot of entrepreneurs. And maybe it's you have this feeling as well. But I have a cockiness that's built into my personality that's difficult to just get rid of. But it's it's like a cockiness or a sort of boldness or a brashness that allowed me to build a company in the first place. But that hurts me when it comes to then needing to maintain and operate a, you know, multi-million dollar machine that needs to run well. You know, this is, I'm going to say something controversial, but I mean it. And just like, listen to the whole sentence. This is where feminine energy is um, a benefit. Mm. 
you know, like, cause you don't have that cockiness. You don't have a cock. You have cockiness. <laughs> so, sorry, you might need to edit, edit that out, Jason, but no, you know, like, Jason, leave it in, <laughs> leave that in, but you don't, you know, like there is a humility. And at least in my culture where I grew up, like there's a respect and a, and an understanding that, you know, you're lucky to be here. Yeah. That it's not always good, by the way, that bites me in the ass as well. But I never had that, you know, I never had that I can do everything because I'm so good at it. I had the, I must do everything and I need to do everything that people don't want to do so that they're happy. Yeah. Actually, that's where I, I screwed up is that if somebody didn't want to do something, I did it because I was the founder and I didn't want to make anybody else unhappy. Now I'm like, it's your job. You do it. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like that. I mean, maybe it's now because of experience, but when I speak to you today, I'm a bit in awe at your confidence level, which I would say that other people might call cocky. The thing is behind the confidence is a very clear self-awareness and I'm mm. I'm only doing what I'm good at. Yeah, okay. You would hear it and you would see it if I had to give an investment pitch. Right. <laughs> like I would not be I'm not even confident talking about it right now. Look how much I slowed down and started stuttering. Investment pitch. (laughs) You know, like it's just, uh, I'm just staying in my zone. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of guilt in doing that before uh, that I worked through with a coach. And now being a founder, the point is for me to design a career that I want. Yeah. And if I'm not designing the career that I want, then why am I doing this? Okay. Yeah. That you know? makes a lot of sense. It's hard to get to that point because like you said, um, and I think maybe every founder goes through this, but the first few years I was also a people pleaser and I kind of yeah. f- had this feeling like, oh, everyone has to feel like this is a family and it has to be a perfect place to work. And oh, it doesn't really matter that this person's coming in late every day. Oh, it doesn't really matter that this person doesn't really do their job. I should be a better boss. And And now I'm a bit more like, fuck that shit you know if you're not actually <laughs> if you're not actually doing your job then you have to leave and i think this has actually made the environment of aj and smart a lot nicer and less passive aggressive but it literally took me 7 years to even get to that point um before i was comfortable to even sort of bring up those topics or or you know and and i mentioned this recently to you uh, or in august when we chatted last time on the podcast I pretty much never let anybody go from aj and smart because i found yeah. it too scary to do it And so that was something that really also held the entire business back. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast have small businesses where they also know for a fact that there are people that they work with that they need to let go, but they won't because they're too scared. And I think that's really something that I think kills a huge amount of businesses because the founders don't want to go through that discomfort. Yes, 100%. It's a relationship. And probably more important in many ways to us. You know, people have this misconception that the employee cares more about the job than we do. Not always. We're the founder. This is our baby. And, you know, they have joined us versus any other place, especially our, you know, our smart staff, right? They can work anywhere. They joined us because of us. And so now there's all this emotion. And when they don't perform and you know it's because you didn't spend a little extra time mentoring them or you know you could have given them better feedback, that trips you up. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, and on and on and on. Like there's so many reasons why we get all emotionally attached to our employees, which I still, I haven't changed. I have to be really honest. Like I know that that doesn't serve me, but I only want to work with people I care about. Mm. And I care about everybody here. You know, uh, when they leave, it does sting. Of course, yeah. And when I have to let them go. It does stink. And I just try to think of it like a relationship, like a, even a, a romantic relationship. Like you want to be as respectful as possible 
and maybe have a couple of conversations around, is this working out? Mm. Because this is what I need from you. And this is what you need from me. And we're not doing that. Have you had any big changes in your business where, you know, large swaths of the employee base that you have just wouldn't fit into the new direction you're going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This research sprint concept. So we had a lot of researchers who were very good at traditional research. And I came up with this idea. And you get it probably too, where you have this idea and you talk about it. And everyone in your company or in the team is looking at you like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Here he goes. I get that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was getting that look all the time of like, oh, shit, here she goes again with some other crazy idea. We don't have time. We're super billable, you know, et cetera. And so I had this team. They were so good at doing the traditional work. And I kept trying to lean on them to come up with this method. And it's not fair because the method was in my head. And, you know, as a founder and as a creator, you know, I have control issues around that. (laughs) Um, But many of them didn't get it. And they were just like, let's just do it the way it's always been done. It's also why I actually have had a harder time selling research sprints to researchers than to product people, because people have different reactions to change. And here is an idea that kind of shifts a lot of how you do research and some people will be like, great, let's do something new. And others are like, why are we doing something new? Right. And how do you deal with that? Like, if you look back on when you sort of presented that, is do you feel like there could have been a different way to present it to get them on board? Or do you think there's just no way to get some people on board with new things? I think some people don't like to be in environments where there's constantly new things. Right. And so that's the way we talked about it. I said, look, we're going to be making some crazy changes here. It's going to mean that everybody needs to shift to being a contractor because I don't want the overhead while I move the kayak in a different direction. Mm. I need as much weight off my boat as possible to shift directions. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the fact that I need this company to be in line with the vision that I have around the offering that I want to make in this world. And so you can stay on as a contractor. You cannot stay on as a contractor. But those are the choices because strategically, you know, this is the decision that I made. And it kind of went like that. Let me say it this way. I tied their change tolerance with their risk tolerance. Right. Not everybody wants to be a contractor either. No, of course not. So some people stayed on and believed in it and are back and others moved on and I helped them move on and they found amazing jobs somewhere else. They're back as in now they're back as full-time employees. They're back as contractors doing some of our traditional work. And then like now that this new research sprint is baked, you know, it's not change anymore. Right. You learn how to do it and you can do it. It was only during the time where we were figuring out, well, what is it? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's just tumultuous. Not everybody likes that environment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing about agencies that people don't understand as well is that the negative thing about running an agency is that you have, you know, the the cash flow to worry about, the overheads, the fact that, I mean, that's actually a really big challenge and something I'm trying to figure out is how do you get the cash flow or the cash flow buffer so that you can actually come up with new product ideas without having to like, you know, shut down the entire company or something like that. It's really, really interesting. It is. What we end up doing is we peel people away. So imagine it's like everybody's on one island and we need to move them to the other island. Yeah. You know, so it's one at a time on this plank. (laughs) And so I go over first and I like steady it and check it out. And then I bring a person who I think can balance me over, you know, and then we bring, you know, so that's the best metaphor I can use is that it's very slow. Uh, it feels very slow, I should say. Um, and it's very careful. And you just have to keep your metrics, you keep on top of your metrics. 
in that case, how do you stop people from getting nervous who are still on the other island worried that they'll get left behind? In my experience, they will. And you just keep reminding them the goal is to either own both of these islands <laughs> or to move everyone over and somebody's going to be last. So, you know, I need people that I trust going first. I need people that I trust in the middle. I need people that I trust going last. And so it has nothing to do with when. It's just, you know, we're trying to do this in the right way. If you have an opinion about wanting to go first, let me know. Right. And tell me why you think you're more on the creative side, if you will, than the operational side. It's really interesting because I think we've had this at AJ and Smart a couple of times. The first time was when we um, moved from the traditional agency model to the design sprint model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of how you described, you know, but it was, this was a transition that took a year and a half of slowly yeah. bringing one person so, at a time to the, to the other island. I didn't think about it in terms of that metaphor, but it definitely works really well. But for me, I knew probably a year beforehand who would be left behind yeah. but I didn't do anything about it do you have like any ways to deal with that up front or do you just see what happens no 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 so I mean in this metaphor the cash flow is the plane yeah. right so <laughs> if you have a lot of cash more people can go over if you don't then it's one at a time and so yes there are two reasons right that I think that people would stay on the island that you're leaving one is that that's where they want to be and that's totally fine. And, you know, they want to be in a stable uh, services-based company or they want to work with you directly one-on-one. -on -one. And for whatever reason, the new island is not going to serve them. And so I know it or they know it or maybe both of us know it, you know, and then and what you just said, maybe neither one of us know it and we just figure it out later. But usually somebody knows that they're not going over. So that's just an upfront conversation that I've had just saying, this is what we're doing and is this in line with what you want to do in your career? There's actually just a wonderful person that I've known for about 15 years, Jack Cole, who works here. Um, he was a client of ours, and then he came over and joined Motivate and led the design team. And so he was on, like squarely on the old island. You know, a lot of our design projects went through him. Every single deliverable went through him. And so he knows the services space very well. When we started talking about research sprints and, you know, masterclasses and things like that, he had, I think it was about three or six months to figure out what would his new role be on the new island. And he talked to Peter, he talked to me, he reflected himself, he took some time to journal. Like, he, I mean, he really, in a very impressive way, really dug into what do I want to do with my career? And I'm glad and I'm lucky that he found something on the new island that would make him happy. And he was like, you know what, I was kind of bored on this old one anyway. But it was a conversation. It's funny. I like using this metaphor because yeah, it's really talk working. <laughs> about both of our uh, business challenges without specifically mentioning them. How do you know um, that the new island, I know you said you go over first and that's the same thing yeah. as me and you and some trusted people. Yeah. And you said that you kind of tell people up front that this is happening. Is there ever a worry that you'll destabilize the old business and then not have a new business? Yes. For sure. Freaked out many times. Um, and so you put parameters around it, right? So we call it an R&D budget. I own it. I can use it any which way I want, but I do have a budget. And it's based on the flow and it's based on margin and it's based on a whole bunch of things, like just overall tolerance of and need of doing something different. So if we just came up with research prints, we don't really need to do anything different this year. You know, there's no need. Um, yeah. And so we'll probably get our reserves up this year for the next time we need it. But yeah, I just, I operate with the budget. And if the budget runs out while I'm on that new island, guess who's coming on the plank back? <laughs> you know, like yeah. it just, 
it's an experiment. Yeah. It's everything we teach in product strategy. Okay, so that's really, really, really interesting for me right now. So you're talking about an R&D budget. And one of the things I really struggle with at AJ and Smart, as you know, I mentioned I'm kind of the product person. I come up with the different mm-hmm. products we use uh, that we have at AJ and Smart. And there's so many things I want to work on. But generally, I'm very ad hoc about it. So all of the new online courses that came out last year, that was super ad hoc. It wasn't like I was like, there's this big strategy. It was more like, fuck, it would be great if we had more cash flow. So here's an online course. And it worked out really well. But, And I would call those sort of like having the time and ability to not be in a reactionary mode. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I never know how much like what what are your parameters how do you know when you have enough cash flow or like money in the bank or stability so that you say then oh let's do this thing like how do you know when the time is right and secondly how do you go about it do you do it as a workshop or do you do Mm -hmm. it yourself how do you come up with new product innovations at motivate design after you know that the time is now right to do it i'm trying to think of how i know Usually it's with conversations with clients or potential clients, Mm. right? Where they have a need. Let's just say it's like in this case, I'm going to use something concrete research sprints, right? So they said no to hiring us for projects a couple of times. And so I went in and said, why are you guys saying no when we've worked together for seven years? And they said, it's too expensive. It takes too long. So now I have a need. Yeah. If I can come up with something that takes less time and costs less, will you reinvest in research? Yes. Okay, great. So now I have the need. So we know we need to figure this out. And then how I do it is I, so this is one of the things that I did after bringing on a president. I have about a day and a half of thinking and R&D time. Every week? Every week, except when I'm sick. Alone? Um, not always, because I don't always think you know, well alone. Like I have friends who think differently than me, and I might take them out for coffee and run whatever I figured out by them and get their feedback. Or I might ask someone to jump on a call with me and look at a prototype or a concept or a flow. And, you know, so I'm constantly sketching, iterating, talking in my R&D time, not sitting in a room by myself. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Sometimes I do, but, you know, mostly it's uh, going back to that client even. I consider this R&D time and saying, what if we did this? How would that work? How much would you pay for that? And so it's kind of co-creation with my clients. And the first project is free. But then after that, we kind of know that there's going to be other projects right after it. Yeah. So you're doing product development in sort of this time that's built in. Is it specifically built into the week exactly the same days every week? Or do you find locks kind of randomly? I cannot deal with random. Like my brain, because I crave this time. Yeah. So I need to know when it's coming. You know, like my, it's home for me. And so Fridays all day, Mm -hmm. pretty much. And then uh, there's a roaming half day. And you don't let people book you for meetings and shit on Fridays. Though. I lose my shit if you, <laughs> if you go over these meetings. I lose my shit okay. because I don't feel whole at the end of that week. Mm. You know, I feel spent. And again, that's why I was talking about that self-awareness is really important because I know at the end of a good week what I did, which is I met with cool people. I talked about cool ideas. I did absolutely no operations or sales. Yeah. I also don't do any sales. I mean, sales I've gotten out of my system. We have a great salesperson here called Penny. Actually, she she was on vacation all of uh, February and I took back over sales and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that it wasn't fun. It was just there was zero time to do anything else besides yeah, taking yeah, calls. Exactly. 
And I think, so this is really interesting to me and I'm so glad I went down this path and sorry, but I need to go down. I need to ask more questions on it. No, let's hit it. What are you apologizing for? This is fun. Uh, yeah, as long as it's helpful to people listening, you lower my rating, Jonathan, I will be so pissed. We're gonna, I'll, it's, it's all about getting a really good clickbait title for this episode as well. Um, oh I'll get, I'll figure it out. So you've got your kind of innovation day or your R&D day. So we do these uh, regular temperature checks. I do temperature checks, which is just a Google Doc where I ask people in AJ and Smart, I ask the team leads, what do you feel is pushing us forward to being a long-term sustainable company? And what do you feel is holding us back? And I ask them to fill that out every month. And so I read that every month. And one of the things, and I also fill it out. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you. It's a Google Doc. It's called Temperature Check. And I automatically send it out every uh, the last uh, Thursday of every month. And this has been really great to get some, you know, spot some of the bigger problems that maybe people wouldn't have mentioned. So one of the things that I realized that I have a problem with at AJ and Smart. So yes, I'm the person at AJ and Smart who comes up with the ideas, right? I'm the one who says, oh, let's do the design sprint and let's do it like this. Mm -hmm. Let's sell it like this. Oh, let's do a design sprint online course. Oh, let's do like social media. Let's do YouTube, this kind of shit, right? But I feel like at this point, one thing I'm really missing is a clear sparring partner for ideas, you know, almost like general ideas. And what you said is you kind of contact friends, you contact different people, you talk with the clients. I'm not sure what I really want to do, but like there are times where I'm just like, oh man, you know, I'm just thinking about this by myself. I wonder if there should be a function built into the company where people are hired or moved into this almost like product development team that thinks about new product ideas and thinks about new dramatic feature updates for the current products. Because right now, I don't know if it's like a super stable way for me to be the person who comes up with all of that stuff for the entire company forever. Because it basically means that the second I take a break or go on vacation, you know, the company isn't, it's not like it's losing money. It's not like we're not growing. But product and innovation-wise, we're in stasis. You know what I mean? I think a, myself included, a lot of entrepreneurs fall into this trap. It's the, I'm going to build a function around me. You know, we start with the beginning of our company. And then it kind of, we take a department and we'll do it there. We'll do it in sales or we'll do it in customer uh, support, you know, and say, well, all clients need to hear from me. Or I'm going to take over that part. We could do an ideation. But we take a thing. And then we own that thing and we forget how powerful we are, period, but then especially at our own organizations. If I say I'm an idea person or I own R&D, which I do all the time, this is what I'm reflecting on, it's going to be hard for someone else to work and do that because I'm the founder and I always win. No matter what, yeah. I'm always going to yeah. out-trump, if you will. Oh, I don't want to use that word. <laughs> I'm going to out. Uh, my, <laughs> my vote counts more. And that's not fair. Who wants to work yes. with me on that? Where like by default, they're never going to count as much. And so I've been really trying to think about if I want to do a thing that I want to own, like if I want to own a thing, what's a thing that is only mine? And I'm going to be really comfortable with that just being mine. Yeah. And not look for anybody else. Yeah, because I just want, I want to do that. And what is it? <laughs> for me, it's been doing these research sprints on questions that I want to know the answer to, like why people experience harassment in the workplace, but they don't report it. And I want to talk about that. I want to be on stage talking about that. 
actually you probably saw this in the organization that we work with. There's a program where you need $10 million if you're a dude to participate, but it's okay if you have 5 million if you're a woman. And just the way that phrase triggered me. So I want to study, do women want a seat if it's reserved for a woman? Like some of these questions I want to get my head around and talk about. So that's something where I don't want to share it anyway. You know, (laughs) so great. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean. So, okay. Why do you bother having an agency? I'm curious, Mm -hmm. rather than probably making more money just you alone and doing sort of consulting work. Why do you find it interesting to run something as large as Motivate Design? Well, uh, I gave away the running, right? So that takes that pressure off. The running, you're right. If I'm running it, I can't do what I want to do. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do it alone. The people that I get to work with here and our client set, which we share similar clients, they're amazing. They have such rich challenges that I wouldn't even know about in my little home office. You know, like I, I wouldn't. And so I get exposed to problems, market realities, people issues that I would never get exposed to otherwise. I also, I hope, even though, you know, I have this strong personality, I learn so much from the people I get to work with. You know, I wrote an article and four people edited it and it's way better than if I had done it myself. Way better. It sucked now, I could say. Okay, yeah. You know, now that I see it now with all of the edits, with everyone's thoughts in it, it's, you know, this is what I want to talk about. So I just have a lot of respect for the process and a lot of people need to be involved in my process because I design things. I don't build things. If I was building, I could probably do it myself. Yeah. But it's not fun. I would hate not having Motivate. I do know that. Have you thought about it ever? Has there been points where you're like, you know what, like, fuck this shit, I'm going to go and just dump it all and and do my own thing or start something from scratch. Because I'm the one jumping icebergs, right? Yeah. I feel like I get to do that here. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I would never go anywhere where I can't do that. Yeah. So if for whatever reason, my luck ran out and I couldn't have motivate, I don't think I would do well not being innovative. You would start something else. Yeah, I would have to. I would have to. I was actually thinking about redesigning ski boots the other day. Because you know, I hated them. They hurt my feet. <laughs> you know, so I would have to do something that would keep me in this space. And the first thing I would do is find people to work with. I think it's also, but I mean, for me, maybe it's even more basic. Like, I don't enjoy working alone. I get yeah. energy from other people. And I also need other people to fill in my weak spots, yep. which are many. Beautiful. Me alone, I can do a pretty good job as like a visionary product person, but then ask me to sit down and document something? Fuck Yep, exactly. Exactly. Bye. Uh (laughs) Disaster. (laughs) Fucking disaster. Or do the finances or something like this uh, would would fall apart immediately. But I also don't work well alone. I don't do... I can't do home office. I can't do things like that because I love kind of the social interaction. I mean, I love the social interaction I would probably prefer it if I was an employee because when you're the boss, everything is a little bit different, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of like the how much social interaction you can get. But at the same time, I'm obsessive about having the control. So I also couldn't be an employee. So it's a weird kind of catch 22 uh, situation. I think we all struggle with that a lot too, though, as founders. Like I remember a couple of years ago, somebody had a wedding or a birthday party and most of the office was invited, but not me. And I was like, hmm, that's mm. sad. But I get it. But like, <laughs> that's sad. You know, like, and, and who wants your boss at your birthday? Yeah. I get it. And I, it bothered me before. 
And now I just uh, have found that other entrepreneurs are really great, you know, to have in my life. And what I've done is just remove the expectation that I would be invited in the first place. You know, it only hurt because I thought I would be. Yeah, for sure. But now that I don't think I will be, it's like, whatever. Yeah. Obviously. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to go home and play with my kids. It's actually something pretty interesting that nobody tells you as an entrepreneur that like, you know, you hear it all the time that, oh, entrepreneurship is the loneliest thing you can do, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it is. And actually, technically, yeah, if you don't deal with it, if you don't like join groups or find other entrepreneurs, I mean, at the start of 2018, I got to say, like, I was kind of doing my journaling because, of course, I'm an esoteric uh, person. And I was trying to figure out, like, why the fuck do I kind of feel so irritated or yeah. annoyed or I don't know, there's something missing. And I realized, actually, like, I think I'm trying to get a lot of my social fulfillment from, you know, the job, the work that I have. Yeah. And I'm not getting it. So why, why am I not getting it? And then I started speaking with other entrepreneurs who are more uh, experienced than me. I think, actually, I, I brought this up with yeah. you and you recommended that we, I join this entrepreneurs thing. Yep. which I joined. Thank you. And you're I welcome. realized, yeah, you, you, as a boss, it doesn't matter. In, in the beginning, when you're three people, it's very different yeah. than when you're, you know, multi-million uh, dollar and, and getting bigger because, of course, everyone then sees you, of course, as the gatekeeper, as the boss, as the person who's judging or something. Yeah. Um, and of course, you just can't have normal conversations uh, anymore, you know, with your... No, well, there are always going to be people in the company who are on the sort of the same level as you and you can have really good conversations and you can be friends and you can, you know, invite them to family dinners and stuff like this. But the majority of your company will not be, you know, that will not be those types of people. And I think being comfortable with it and knowing it, it would be would have been great to know beforehand, you know? I don't think you know it. I think you feel it. So yeah. people could have told you. You could have read a book. You could have read 15 books about it, but it, it doesn't land until you're not invited. Or, you know, you can't say something because you're like, shit, that would be inappropriate. And shit, I'm the boss. I can't headbutt yeah, somebody exactly. in my own company. Damn, Damn it. it. Ah, would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read a book recently, um, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And oh, it, it, it's so good. It's so fucking good. And this has a section where it said, I think the chapter was called Being an Entrepreneur is Lonely or something, or it's lonely at the top. And there was a section saying one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is that they rely on their direct friends, their employees, and their families to sort of give them like this social fulfillment. But these people don't know what you're going through. I mean, it sounds like, you know, I mean, we're talking, I get it. Some people are listening and saying, oh, don't know what you're going through running multi-million. Yeah. All right. Look, it's still a thing, right? Um, so they don't know what you're going through. They don't want to hear your fucking stories about how it's difficult to do this or difficult to do that. So for me, definitely um, last year, I did make an effort to try to meet more entrepreneurs, but I haven't really gotten to the point yet where I feel like I have a lot of people that I can just meet up with and kind of vent or talk about entrepreneurial things. And again, that's why I joined this group. I'm kind of starting that uh, next week where I'm going to have a group of entrepreneurs that I meet every uh, month. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs listening right now, a lot of people are starting their companies. A lot of people will have like three-person businesses. I think the earlier you can try to meet with other entrepreneurs, yeah. um, the, the better. Um, but I would put one little bit of warning in there because I know some people will hear this episode and send you and I tons of messages saying, hey, let's meet up for a coffee. Um, I still think it's good for the initial connection. This is going to sound arrogant, but I'm just going to get it out of the way so that 
people you know that it's not weird it's not hugely beneficial for me if someone just starting out wants to have a coffee with me you know like these are the kinds of messages that entrepreneurs get every day so i think it's for me it's trying to find people who just are more experienced than me but it's difficult because you have to deliver them value before they would want to give you time um, out of their day to sit down and talk to you. So I think that's been my challenge in 2018 is like, how can I get to know people who know a lot more than me? Just for example, right? Why, you know, you and I are talking now, I'm getting value out of this conversation, Mm -hmm. but hopefully you also believe that besides the fact that, you know, maybe you'll learn something from me, but I am actually mostly asking the questions. You're also on this podcast, which has lots of listeners, right? But that's like me delivering some value because I don't want to ask for value for free. And also when I asked you in November for some advice, for some um, employee advice, it's not like I sent you a message and said, hey, I want some advice. It was like, hey, uh, you know, would it be possible? I like really trying to be respectful of yeah, your time. No, you're amazing. But I'm having some trouble and I feel like you're the person who could answer my question. I think that um, what I'm trying to get at here is if you want to do what we're talking about, be respectful of the other person's yeah. time. Back no, to no, it. No, no, <laughs> no. Actually, there's a, I have another metaphor if you want it. Yeah. Um, hit and me. it's not mine. Someone, it was a coach, uh, a relationship bank. So always think about every relationship you have as having almost a, a currency. And you either are putting money in, let's call it money, points, whatever, in or taking it out. So if you have a podcast and invite someone to be a guest on the podcast, you just put money in. You help me, right? Get more exposure. If you call me and say, hey, I'm struggling with a with an employee problem, you didn't take money in or out. That's a lot of respect that I felt, at least, when you reached out to me. So you gave me respect, but you also got advice. Always be thinking, and I think the mistake that people make, I do it and I try my best to not do it actually, is take before you get. Like if you have zero dollars in this relationship bank, why would I come have coffee with you? I have kids. This metaphor is great. I I have kids. I have employees here who need time for me. I want to think. I have my day and a half of, you know, like whatever. I don't have coffee time. It's not like I'm sitting at a coffee shop, but I adore (laughs) you. You know, I adore people. I adore helping so help me make that easier. Yeah. You know, maybe we could go to an event together that I didn't know about. Yeah. Maybe you could send me a book and say, hey, I'm sending this to you so that you notice me. I would just love to ask you one question in five minutes. Like you can do a lot of things that put stuff into the bank first before you start withdrawing. I had a way worse metaphor. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> one more thing. When people freak out on you, it's because you didn't notice the balance. So if, you know, if all of a sudden you send me a note and I'm like, Jonathan, you asked for too much, you know, something like that. It's because you weren't aware of the fact that you were taking money out. In most cases, people just don't reply when you try to ask to take too much. And then people think you're an asshole or something like that. And I think it was yesterday I posted on my Instagram store. I do this like, I think once every two weeks, I call it the canvas strategy. So it's what I try to say is, it's always very good to know your position in the food chain. My one is is very ruthless. That's it's like tough. I know it's like what's your position in the food chain because this is how I operate when I want to talk to people so much higher than me in the food chain that they would never talk to me normally. And I think that the way I look at it is that you need to understand your position before you make a move like that because one attempt at taking money out of the bank or, or one attempt at um, you know contacting someone where you would have to put money into their bank but you have nothing 
could result in the bank closing. <laughs> so mean. I try to use your so mean. No. And, and I- <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so I have a different, softer view on it. Because <laughs> it's not food chain. It's just if you need something from someone else, don't start with your need. Yeah. Think yes. about what you can offer. And if you don't have something to offer, keep thinking until you come up with something to offer. I hate when people come and they're just needy. But don't be needy. And I have helped so many people. I don't think there's one person who has responded on Instagram that I've not responded back to. Yeah. I try my best, you know, but offer something first. Like it could be a compliment. It could be, hey, I would love if you answered these questions on Instagram. I talked to 10 friends. They would love for you to answer these questions. Like get, you know, something. But coming in with like, can I give you my resume and portfolio and can you spend two hours looking at it? No, I can't. I wish I could, but I mean, no. Actually, one of our employees, uh, one of the really, a really great employee who, who actually, um, who is going to be listening to this because he, so he's right now the head of user research at AJ and Smart. And how he started out was by doing the show notes of this podcast. Yes, I loved that. I saw that and I loved that. I was like, he's a genius. Amazing. Yeah, he did that. it for months and Genius. months and months. And it was it was going on in the background, right? And, and it wasn't like he was like, notice me, do something, I want something. So that was going on for ages. And eventually the moment came up where someone at AJ and Smart asked me, oh, there's this guy messaging. Like we, we get a shit ton of applications for internships every day. So we, it's, and we have no system. So someone uh, sent me a message and was like, oh, uh, are any of these interesting? I was like, oh, that's the guy who does the show notes. So he stood out immediately. Oh, that makes me so happy. He ended up being the only person getting interviewed. Yep. So like, I think the hard part is, and maybe you can answer this question. I think the hard part is figuring out what these people want, how you can deliver value. So let's just put an example out there. Um, <coughs> I'm going to put a challenge. Okay. <coughs> First, I just have to cough. Um, yeah. I'm still sick, by the way. Yeah, For anyone listening to the last few episodes, I've been sick. Uh-huh. So um, let's say... You probably actually already have this connection, but you have to pretend that this is a new connection. Let's say that you were trying to have dinner um, with Tim Brown, the CEO of IDEO. And the reason is because you want to... I mean, he's got a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. about running uh, an agency that's bigger than both your agency and my agency. Do you have any kind of thoughts around how you would approach something like that? I would not approach it that way. Because as soon as you said it, it's like, I need... To yeah, talk yeah. To Tim Brown and <laughs> but that's my challenge to you. That's my and have, challenge. No, this is my point. It's like I would not do it that way because yeah. he doesn't have time for me and dinner. No. He does have a lot of knowledge. What the hell am I going to offer him? You know, maybe what I would do is say a couple of different things. So I would think about what is Tim Brown talking about these days? I would definitely be Googling and saying last couple of times that he's presented, what's a topic that you can see? or you can hear he's excited about. Let's say it's research, yeah. right? Let's say it's like something like that. I would give him, hey, I've been working on this stuff. Here you go. So I just talked to Jared Spool the same way. Here, I've been working on this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sending it over to you. I want to share it with you. And uh, it's just so A, you have it. You can use it any way you want to. But B, I do trust your opinion and I'd love for you to rip it apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, tell me what I'm missing, but I hope in doing so, I'll be able to share with you a new concept, a new idea that's been purchased by Nike, Facebook, Venmo, you know, like, and then I list the clients. And I did it with Jared, who I actually did know Jared, but I also cold outreached um, Mac Brothers, who's a CEO of Forrester. Okay, yeah. And got a call. But I gave him something first. Amazing. Also, like you said something there that's 
sounds really simple, but it's actually very difficult is you think about the context of why you're messaging them and like what this person is talking about yeah. at the very moment. Yeah. It's actually such a big thing. It's such a big deal. One of the most recent, let's say, <clears throat> bigger connections that I've gotten in touch with, and, and it was through Jake, but I still had to deliver value, was Kevin Rose. And yeah. one of the reasons I was able to connect with him was because I knew that he was diligently working on this new beta of a product. And I was I joined the Facebook beta group. I was a beta nice. tester. See what I I mean? was, exactly. And I did this for months. I was looking for opportunities for months before I yes. even sent one message That's for it. months. And I think there's like this quick rapid fire approach. I think there's just bad advice being given out in colleges sometimes where it's just like, yeah, just email everyone and ask them for a coffee. But no one says you have to deliver some fucking value. No, (laughs) it's amazing to me that they do that. And I think a lot of this I learned from being a recipient as well. Like there's so many people who are like, can I have a coffee? And early on when I was a sucker for it, I was like, okay, maybe you can walk with me to work, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, how did you start your business? That that entire story is chapter one of Reframe. Fuck yeah, exactly. Why aren't they doing the research? Bye, bye. Like I, that's rude now. Now, yeah, not only rude. do you deplete your your t- the time that I took, but now I don't like you. Mm. I hate selfish people. So <laughs> it's such an example of like I have a need, so I'm going to bother you, Mona, for my need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, I would never do that to you. Yeah, it's really. I'm so glad you said that, and I'm also I'm glad you're saying it like this because I know that. Um, some guests would hold back on saying what you just said, and I think it needs to be said right. as well. But, but just because what? I don't know, what, because no, because every, everyone's worried about being seen as not nice or you know not one hundred percent accommodating. I'm super nice. Like that's the thing. I'm super nice, but I have two kids. I run exactly. this company. I don't want to work twenty four seven. I want to work out. I want to cook my meals, and so I yeah. have stuff that I've. When I've lost it, I made me unhappy. Yeah. And so I have to prioritize it, which means my calendar is blocked and I don't have time for things that don't fulfill me. And yeah. I meet new people every week, by the way. Every week I'm meeting somebody new and they're not all like above food chain, as you said. Like they're, you know, they're, <laughs> I meet a variety of people, but I need to feel fulfilled by that meeting. And yeah. it does sound selfish, but I think we, that word is used too much. You know, just because I do something that's healthy for me doesn't make me selfish. I 100% agree. And I also, I mean, I want to feel fulfilled by meetings too. And I've, I almost always regret saying yes to kind of random things. And, you know, usually the people who don't put in the effort anyway, you know, when you meet them, like often, uh, this has happened to me, you know, even relatively recently, where I would, you know, kind of meet up with someone, and they just talked at me anyway, for an hour. This has happened uh, this week to me. And I was like, wow. And even when I tried to interrupt and explain what I thought about something, yeah. even though he asked me for <laughs> advice, was, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I could, and then you know what he did? He goes, uh, you intimidate men. And I was uh, like, wow, this is a business meeting, firstly. <laughs> Secondly, I have tried to help you see something that you don't see. And I don't know why I'm trying anymore. You got my tea? Great. Bye. <laughs> I love it. It's really funny. I'm just saying facts. I'm like, that's not a fact. You're offensive. For no reason. <laughs> you intimidate men, yeah. Mona, by the way. That's going to be part of the... I'm going to I edit the it. intro. <laughs> <laughs> Mona is the CEO oh of uh, Men Intimidating Agency in New York City. Um, I'm definitely going to be coming to New York again, by the way. Uh, probably Fantastic. Passing by in May, I would say. Awesome. 
Awesome. I'm almost always here in May because both my kids' birthdays are in May. So I'd never right. travel on their birthdays. Yeah, I'm looking forward to popping by and picking your brain over coffee again, but just talking for one hour and not asking any questions. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, you, you're you so fine. I'll be intimidated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you a man? No. Yeah, I actually... Uh, <laughs> it's going to be so bad. You have to edit out all this last part. That's no, awful. I like it. I, I just like, dude, piss me off. Yeah, well, so what? You know, that can happen. That's why I think yeah. that um, uh, eventually you and I need to have podcasts because, you know, there is this kind of realness that needs to come out sometimes. We got to have you on as often as possible. I love doing this with you guys. I truly do. Like, I, And I have not said that you can listen to any other podcast. I have not said that ever. But you have this really light way of talking about deep things. And I think that that's really important and it's vulnerable and it's real and there's not a lot of politically correctness intentionally yeah Yeah, and um i find that refreshing and i do think that that real talk there needs to be more of it so i'm down anytime you want basically thanks very much mona um i'm trying to think of like a nice way so here's the thing right and this will be kept in the podcast i need to think of a very clickbaity title for this i'm already thinking of a few i've been writing so one of them is so obviously it's going to be with your name in it but i was thinking uh one of them could be how to give value um, how to, how to, ah, oh, fuck it. I'll think of a good one, but I'm trying to, maybe the relationship bank. Yeah. Relationship or iceberg thing, or something. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm thinking, relationship um, banks, icebergs and yes. intimidation. Women. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. That would be a great, that would be a great title. Oh woman God. intimidates me with, no, woman. I'm only it. joking. Stop <laughs> it. So here, I don't, I'm direct and I am honest, but I, I don't know how, uh, well, you know what? We'll unpack that in the next one. What is it that I'm doing? That's intimidating. Cause I just feel like I'm being real. I think that a lot of guys say that about women who are just like, you know, super confident. I don't know. That seems to be like a really common thing you hear guys saying. I don't understand it. I've heard guys saying that as well. Like, that, Like, oh, she's super intimidating. You never really hear that about guys because maybe we're always, always intimidating. I don't know. I have no idea. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me what it is. I'll stop doing it because I don't want to intimidate anybody. I don't think you're in, I, I don't feel intimidated. I don't think that's a nice thing to do. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't work for you. I don't think anybody who works with I should double check now. You walk into the office and they're all cowering under the desks and you're like, I don't intimidate them. I try to like stop myself from hugging people on birthdays. You know, like I'm I'm the opposite. Right. So I yeah. don't know what it is. But if you figure it out, I do need some reflection on what it is because I don't want to do that. Like I just find that to be awful. Mm, I don't. Obviously, I'm still thinking about it from this random person yeah, who Jesus. said it once. Fuck, you should ask your own. Um, you should, I think you got to ask your, your employees. Um, you know, oh, you know the question you didn't answer, uh, which I just looked at here. You didn't tell me where you found Ken. Okay, so my strategy for recruiting, I don't mind. I think this is really early on. It's five years ago. I believe it was on Indeed. What I do is I reach out to people directly from me saying, I'm interested in talking to you. I give them, uh, at that time it was SurveyMonkey. Now it's a type form that has a set of questions that they have to answer. And then I pick people I want to talk to based on the answers to those questions. So I automatically weed out anybody who's just like sending resumes everywhere. And I want to see if they follow instructions. And then when I met Ken, this is five years ago. So I, wait, it's got to be longer. It's longer. Oh my God. What am I saying five? Because uh, I was pregnant with my second child, I think. Um, And he's turning six. And so it was right around this time, I feel like. Um, And he had such great experience in managing projects. I was like, oh wait, that's what you're supposed to do? 
<laughs> I don't do that. And, uh, and so he was brought on to manage all the projects while I took quote maternity leave, which was, you know, a week and a half. And then he did such a great job. I was like, you keep doing that. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I was like, you keep doing that. I'll do other stuff. That's really cool. I need, I think, I feel like I need this. This is like something, um, within AJ and smart that, that it's definitely missing. I mean, yeah, I can introduce you to Ken. I, I've spoken to a person at AJ and smart that I think would be awesome. So I'll tell you about that off record. Oh, Cool. Yeah. Great. Well, um, do you have any, before we close up, do you have any, you recommended the book Traction. Do you have any other random recommendations of great books or great content? Yeah. So, well, Traction and Scaling Up, both are very similar. Scaling Up is actually written by the person who started Entrepreneur Organization, which is that organization we talked about. You know, I'm a fan. And so I would say if you're an entrepreneur and meet the threshold requirements for that, I do think it's really great to have a community of entrepreneurs around you. It's called EO. Because I think sometimes yeah. it sounds like we're not saying the name of an organ. It's called or like, Entrepreneur's yo. Organization. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, there's another PR agency that I've been testing out called PR Bolt. Um, and they're cost effective and they help you get your message out to journalists. And so um, we've had some really great luck with people wanting to hear more about what we're doing through that. And that's it's super cost effective. PR Bolt with a B. Yeah. V. 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 Okay. It's under a thousand dollars a month. Whoa, that's really cheap. Yeah. So there's a lead. Um, the only other thing that is totally personal, but I downloaded this app, Noom, N as in Nancy, O O M, and it's for like tracking your what you're eating, and you know you can lose weight or you just stay on top of your health, which is why I'm using it. But I, for those people, because I'm guessing people on here know that I do a lot of research and I'm into psychology, they focus on the psychology of eating well. And I actually just really like how easy they've made it. So just from a UI UX perspective of guiding people through a scary journey, I think they did a really great job. So just as a best practice or an experience, I think that you could look at that. Noom. Okay, I'm going to check out Noom. And finally, where can people find you on the internet? You have told me that I should keep everyone going to one place. So I have been more active or as active as I can be on Instagram. Yeah. Um, at Mona K. Patel, all because of Jonathan. And then MotivateDesign.com is for everything else, uh, including, including, we didn't even talk about this, uh, the Research Masterclass, which Jonathan also inspired. Oh my God, how do we not talk about that? Is it already something we can link to? Yes, I will get you the link. It just, we just finished it and we're just launching it last week, basically. Okay, so perfect. Um, Send me that link if you could, um, so we can stick it in the show notes. And then next time when you're so that people can already go there and check it out. Yeah. And then next time when you're on, we can talk about it in more detail. I love it. Oh, my God. Duh. Uh, But that it was totally inspired by Jonathan, by the way. So that's where Jonathan has the millions of currency points with me (laughs) is that he gave me such great advice uh, in such a great way that I'll be on a million podcasts before our account depletes. Amazing. And I have to do, I'm actually happy to, when I'm in New York, I have to show you a few more things because we've just launched our kind of another course uh, alongside the masterclass, nothing related to design sprints. And I've got loads of like insights into how to launch a much more expensive course which involves then sort of a bit more one-on-one sales calls. Really, really interesting things going on there. Perfect, perfect, yeah. All right, Mona. All right, baby. So you're going to sing it out with me this time? It's going to sound like I am, but I'm not. Okay. (laughs) Product Breakfast Club. Product Breakfast Club. Oh, my God.